Good morning. I enjoyed listening to Stacy's talking about running her 5K race. And uh, Stacy and I, you don't know this probably, but Stacy and I share the same birth date. And not only did she run her first 5K, I just slept my first 5Z sleep. <laughs> so uh, we have those two things in common. Well, as you can tell from this full head of hair up here, it's not Adam this morning. And so you're all probably aware that this past week uh, in our area schools, it's been spring break, and so a lot of families have taken time off to go and spend some quality family time. And Adam and Ann have gone to visit their families in central Illinois, and we pray they have safe journeys and have a great time there, and he'll be back next week. And because he was going to be gone, he asked me to uh, fill in for him, which I'm glad to do. Now, we're in the midst of what has come to be known as the season of Lent. It was mentioned a moment ago about running for Lent. And this comes from the Anglo-Saxon word Lincoln. You knew you were going to get an archaic language lesson this morning. But that word actually means spring. And for our practices, it's a 40-day period prior to Easter, during which... Uh, representing the 40 days that Jesus fasted and prayed in the wilderness before his public ministry. And according to Western custom, it is a time of repentance, fasting, and preparation for the coming Easter. And this year, as we prepare to observe Easter 2019, we've been, we've been looking at various I Am passages in the New Testament in which Jesus reveals himself. Uh, we began two weeks ago looking at Jesus' conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well in Samaria where he said, I am the living water and I am the Messiah. Last week we studied the passage where Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And this week we're going to look at another of the I am passages in John's gospel where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Now why are we looking at these statements of Jesus? If you claim to be a follower of Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah sent from God, I believe it's extremely important that we understand the historic figure from whom you obtain your identity in this life. And Jesus is an historic figure, and about that there can be very little doubt, although the majority of humanity has not yet recognized him as the Son of God. I don't think it's an accident that we don't really know what Jesus looked like. Oh sure, there have been lots of artistic representations of him throughout the years, uh, but these are the imaginings of Western, mostly Western artists who depict Jesus as a Western European in appearance, tall, well-groomed, cool beard, an Anglo-Saxon cover model. Now, just as an aside, you may not know this, but uh, this past week, the man who invented paint by numbers, Dan Robbins, passed away at the age of 93. I remember when I was 10 or 11, I had a paint by number of Jesus as the uh, good shepherd knocking at the door. And I took it and gave it to my grandparents in Arkansas. And in their sparsely decorated living room, they kept that picture as if it was a Michelangelo or Leonardo da Vinci original. And it was not. 
But we have no idea what Jesus looked like. There were no cell phones where Jesus could post a picture of himself on Instagram. We do know that he looked like all the other Middle Eastern Jews of Israel in his day, in that first century. Because, we know this because he was able to escape detection by walking through a crowd. Even though, in most of our imaginations, I always picture Jesus being sort of a head taller, like uh, Saul was in the Old Testament, where he just stood out in the crowd, but Jesus was able to move anonymously through a crowd. We know that we mark the years of time by his appearance on earth, and even those cultures that do not recognize or accept him as the Son of God. We mark time by B.C. or B.C.E., before Christ or before the Christian era, and A.D., which, is, which stands for the Latin Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. His teachings have spread throughout the entire globe and spread and established values of morality and inspired loyalty without ever physically subduing any population of any country. His power and influence are divine in nature, not earthly. And when the Apostle Paul asserts that we walk by faith and not by sight, the fact that we've never seen the physical Jesus or any representation of the physical Jesus that was accurate, he was talking, that is, Paul was talking about the power of what has pulled us all here from a wide diversity of backgrounds. As I survey this room, I can see that we come and we have all different kinds of stories before we get here. And yet he has united us as a people in a way that no politician, no government of men, no other human being could have ever done. There has never been such a person in all of history who could do that. But Jesus did. And so it is this historic figure that reveals himself to us in the Gospels that give us another I am moment in John 10. Now I want to provide context to what we're about to read. Because if we go back to the ninth chapter of John, Jesus and his disciples encounter a blind man who had been blind from his birth. And they asked a question that tells you something, a little something, about how they viewed sin and its consequences in their lives. They must have known this man because we're told in the ninth chapter of John that he was in the city gates begging every day. And they knew that he'd been blind all of his life. And so they asked Jesus, Jesus who sinned that he was born blind? Was it him or was it his parents? Now just think about that question for a moment. I have not yet been able to wrap my head around what sin a prenatal baby could have committed. But Jesus explodes their preconceptions by saying neither sinned, neither the parents nor this man. This man was born blind for this moment. So that this moment would occur to reveal the power of God in Jesus. And so Jesus healed the man of his blindness. And now for the very first time in his life ever, he could see. And the religious leaders, there's always some religious leaders standing close by who like to examine and criticize. And so the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were thrown off by this display of supernatural power. And because... They couldn't find anything else to criticize about Jesus opening the eyes of a blind man. They did find one little piece of ritual law that they could hang their hat on, and that was it was done on the Sabbath. And you don't do work on the Sabbath. 
Jesus in another place would say, well, if you have a sheep that falls into a ditch on the Sabbath, what are you going to do? You're going to go down there and pull it out because that's a sheep. But because he did this on the Sabbath, they, say, they began to criticize and they began to investigate all of this. And they called the man in. They subpoenaed him. And they brought him in and questioned him about, you know, what happened? Who is this man that healed you of your blindness and how is it able to happen? He couldn't give him an answer. They brought his parents in and they said, tell us what's, what's going on here. This was done on the Sabbath. The Sabbath's been violated. What happened? And the parents were conferring with their lawyer who said, don't say anything. And so they said, well, he's of age. Go ask him again. And they did. And the blind man, the man who had been blind, says, you know, this is amazing because here I was blind, but now I see. I don't know by what power he did this, but I do know I was blind, but now I see. And that became a famous line, of course, in one of our great hymns, Amazing Grace. And all of that brings us to chapter 10, where Jesus is still addressing these Pharisees. And so I would direct your attention to chapter 10 of John, beginning with verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not wreck a stranger, recognize a stranger's voice. And Jesus used this figure of speech. We might say he made this analogy. But the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. However, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not in this sheep pen. I must bring them in also. And they too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. This command I received from my Father. Now, I know that's kind of a long passage, but let's unpack this for the next few minutes. This passage is all about Jesus being our shepherd. And if Jesus is our shepherd, then what are we? Exactly. We're sheep 
And frankly, out of all the animal kingdom, being a sheep isn't necessarily the most complimentary analogy for what I aspire to be. I don't know how many of you have been following the NCAA men's basketball tournament. And if you're a Michigan State fan, my condolences. But one of the teams that made it into that 64-team tournament this year uh, is a small private university in South Carolina named Wofford University. It has less than 1,600 students enrolled there. I didn't pick them for my brackets, but seeing how things have turned out, it wouldn't have made any difference anyway. But I was impressed by their team mascot name, the Terriers. Doesn't that strike fear into your heart? Back when I worked for the Internal Revenue Service a few years back, I was what was called a field revenue officer. And what a field revenue officer does is they're the end of the line to the collection process. And so they go out in the field to the person's place of business or home, knock on the door and ask for money. And so I was down, actually it was uh, south of Walkerton, Indiana one day, out in the country, nobody was around, no police that I could call for help. And I went up to the door of the house to knock and the only a screen door was there. The inside door was open. And I looked, and behind the screen door was a Doberman Pinscher. And so I kept my eye on the Doberman Pinscher as I knocked. And he just stood there, or sat there, and looked at me. And while I kept my eye steadfastly on that Doberman Pinscher, a little schnauzer came around on the porch and met my heel. <laughs> it's always the little dog you've got to keep an eye on. But terror is not necessarily an awe-inspiring animal name. Neither is the Campbell University fighting camels. <laughs> but at least they're not the Scottsdale Community College fighting artichokes. That's a real team name. That's Artie the artichoke. But sheep? Why call us sheep? Why not call us eagles, independent and soaring? Or lions? Or tigers? Or bears? Oh my. No, we're sheep. And the Bible refers to the people of God as sheep about 200 times, and for a reason. Let me share some facts about sheep. Sheep are notorious followers. If one member of the flock starts running toward the highway, everyone starts running. And none of them knows why they're running. You see, the herd instinct takes over, and the urge to follow becomes so great that they just have to go. So sheep will mindlessly follow anything that catches their attention. Secondly, sheep are helpless. That's why wolves and other meat-eating animals love sheep. Just the mere sight of a sheep away from the protection of the shepherd says, dinner is served to a wolf. Someone has described pure democracy as this, two wolves and a sheep taking a vote on what to have for dinner. But a sheep is very vulnerable to the wolves. They're timid, they're feeble creatures whose only defense is to run. Sheep are hard-headed. Now I hope you see some qualities in sheep that you might be able to identify with humanity. They're hard-headed and the wild ones of the species, the bighorn mountain variety, continually around, run around banging their heads on one another. Apparently, this really impresses the lady sheep. But maybe the reason banging heads does uh, not give sheep a headache is because the cranial cavity has a lot of extra space. So sheep are not known for their intelligence. 
Sheep will graze on the same hill over and over until they turn it into a wasteland. They will keep walking the same trail until it becomes a rut. They pollute their own ground until it is full of disease and parasites. They have no homing instincts. You know, you send a dog or a cat or a bird out, and they can find its way home. But if a sheep gets lost, it's a goner until someone comes to rescue it. We sang a line in the song a moment ago about he leaves the 99 to go to find that one. And adult sheep will lie down and roll over on their backs. But sheep are not as agile as a dog, and when a sheep rolls over on its back, it is physically unable to roll back over. And shepherds refer to this as, a, as cast sheep. And unless the shepherd rolls it back over, internal gases will build up in the sheep, and it will die. Sheep will die if they roll on their backs, yet they keep doing it. Yes, sheep are helpless, stupid animals. So do you see any analogy? I think we do. And throughout the Bible, God calls us sheep. Now, he's not doing that just to insult us. But if we're going to assign a mascot image to humanity, sheep seems pretty apt from what we've observed. So in this passage, the first thing Jesus says is, The shepherd of the sheep enters, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He knows their name. I've been told by folks who raise their own livestock for eating that you don't give a name to what you're going to eat. You know, if you've got a pig that you're going to slaughter eventually, you don't want to name him Bob and, say, and converse with him every day. Why? Because you develop a rapport with that animal. That's why I don't eat cats. <laughs> I've given them all names, and Bosco, and Benji, and Biscuit, and Lizzie, and Benji would all uh, survive because I've given their names. And our shepherd has given us names, and he knows our name. And you have to be emotionally detached. But our shepherd wants to protect us from predators and those who would harm us. He knows our name. They know his voice. There is a familiarity and an intimacy in the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. And this is one of the amazing characteristics of Jesus as a shepherd, that he knows his sheep and who should be in his flock. Take, for example, two of his apostles who on the surface could not be more different. We've got Matthew Levi, who is a Jewish tax collector for the occupying government of Rome, a treasonous occupation in the eyes of most Jews in the first part of the century. Now, this is a depiction of what some artists think Matthew Levi might have looked like. I think he looks more like this next one. But not only did Jesus call Matthew Levite, this treasonous tax collector, but he also called Simon the Zealot, a Jew whose sole purpose when first encountering Jesus was to further an underground political movement to throw off the Roman government. And these two couldn't have been uh, further apart ideologically. And yet Jesus the Good Shepherd knew them by name, knew their stories, and saw something in each of them beyond the surface that caused him to call them, and they followed him. 
and eventually they were joined together to make history in proclaiming Jesus as the promised Messiah. And ultimately, both would be put to death because of the call of the shepherd that overcame their individual ideologies. <coughs> and Jesus says, the shepherd leads his sheep and they follow, they know his voice and they don't follow a stranger. Jesus says something else here in verse 7. He says, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And when you stop and look at this, you might at first think, well, you said, I am the shepherd. And now you're saying, I am the gate. Which is it? How can you use two uh, pictures like this in the same analogy? But Jesus is not introducing a new analogy here. What Jesus is saying is what a shepherd did. A shepherd in the days of Jesus would gather his sheep into the pen at night and make sure that they were all accounted for and then the opening he would lie down in front of and be the gate so no sheep would leave and no predator would enter the shepherd was literally the gate and then in verse 11 he says I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep the disciples would not have understood it when he told them this. But Jesus is saying he will die for his sheep. And it wouldn't be very long after this before he did. Now only a shepherd would do that, not a hired hand. Those of you who are not retired and still employed, would you lay down your life for your company? I don't think so. You may think you're being worked to death, but the reality is, no hired hand makes the kind of sacrifice just because they're getting a wage. But the shepherd is not a hireling. He's invested in the sheep. He knows them by name. And he would even sacrifice himself for their sake. And this is why we are looking at this passage before we remember that day, almost 2,000 years ago, when a shepherd named Jesus allowed himself to be beaten and scourged and suffer the humiliation of criminal's death because he was putting himself between the curse and his sheep. Now, this passage is what uh, Adam suggested we observe and read this morning, and I thought it was an apt passage also for what we want to relate to you next. And I'm going to ask the other elders to come to the front of the auditorium right now. Uh, one of our elders, Lil Kolzak's out of town uh, this weekend, but he's here in spirit and has been involved in what we have to say to our Livingstones family right now. You may have received our uh, uh, Stones Throw newsletter this past week telling you that this is kind of a family meeting, and so this is the family part of the family meeting. Uh, if you're visiting for the first time this morning or have been visiting but have not yet decided that Livingstone's Church is where you belong, we're happy to let you peek in on family business and hope that you can appreciate our efforts to be transparent with the family here. As elders of this congregation to serve in leading and protecting the flock here, we're very mindful of Peter's statement in 1 Peter 5, where he says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care watching over them, 
Not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And we wanted to communicate to the flock entrusted to us where we are headed and what our plans are to get there. Now this, what I'm about to say, is old news to most of you. As a congregation of God's people, there's been a congregation been meeting here since March of 1956 here at 718 East Delmore Avenue. We were formerly known as the Delmore Avenue Church of Christ, a church that worshiped with only a cappella music and was part of a movement whose goal was to restore, as they saw it, Christianity as practiced in the New Testament. Nothing added, nothing subtracted. <coughs> and even though we were a presence here in the neighborhood for decades, we confess that we were very self-focused as a community of believers who did little on the south side except maybe host a VBS every year. One of our own, Sam Barrington, who was like a son to me, <laughs> and like a son to all of these guys here, was part of this church from birth. And he came back from college and served as pastor of this congregation beginning in 1997. That was immediately after he got his Master's of Divinity degree from Abilene Christian University, who also made 64 but got eliminated in the first round. Now, one of the things <coughs> that Acapella Churches of Christ were really good at was dividing over some very petty issues. And when Sam came back to South Bend to serve, various congregations around the area were losing members for a number of reasons and began to attend here. And as our number and attendance increased, we began to think that maybe it was time to sell this property and to build at a location near the US-20 bypass, and we could continue to grow in numbers just by moving to a more alluring location. And as this was going on, Sam was turning 30. And uh, he had been thinking about, you know, when Jesus turned 30, he went and fasted for 40 days. And so as Sam turned 30, he was about to begin, uh, he fasted for 40 days. He began that fast, and the last 10 days of his fast, he went down to a personal retreat at Ancilla College, uh, and he was not only fasting, but also praying about this decision to move to another location. And during that 10 days, God impressed on him, we believe, that if we were inward focused and had really done nothing on the Southside community for over the years, why would changing the location make us any more faithful? And he came back and told the elders what he was thinking. And the result was that we scrapped the plans to sell and move and determined we were going to focus serving the zip codes of 46613 and 14 and try to be a force for the kingdom where we are already located. And a lot of folks who were here didn't care for the idea and began to leave. Our attendance declined until we were averaging 80 to 100 people on a Sunday morning. But with the change in vision and mission of the South Side, we found that others were drawn to that vision and mission. And our attendance began to climb until at one point we had three services on each Sunday. One Easter a few years back we had over 900 in attendance, of course recognizing that Easter for many is a once a year obligation. But with Sam's leadership and zeal, we changed our name to Living Stones in 2006 based on the passage in 1 Peter 2.5, where Peter calls on disciples to be living stones. We no longer practiced a cappella music in our worship and tried to overcome legalistic practices and views that weren't based in Scripture. 
and we grew in number. And people from all walks of life with a wide array of stories began to come and be a part of this church. But last year, Sam came to the conclusion that his time and effectiveness here was done. After 22 years serving the church in which he grew up as the lead pastor, he retired from his ministry. And even though he's my son and I have a bias, I can't begin to convey the debt of gratitude that this congregation owes to his vision and leadership. The father hates to admit that he learns from the son, but I learned a lot during that 22 years. Beginning in September of last year, Adam Gustine agreed to come and serve temporarily as the interim lead pastor uh, while we tried to move forward. It was always Adam's intention for this to be a temporary position to allow us to regain our bearings and move forward. Because the truth of the matter is that we had not thought of it beyond Sam, and we were thrown off our stride by Sam's departure. And to be completely at us, uh, honest, because of Adam's excellent sermons and the fact that we had fallen in love with him and his family, we wanted to coax him into thinking in terms other than temporary. But Adam has callings in other directions, and we respect that and pray God's richest blessings on him as he continues to serve God where he is led. We know he loves God and wants to serve where God leads him. So what does that mean for Living Stones moving forward? The elders wanted you to hear from us what our plans are moving forward and solicit your support and prayers for God's guidance and all. First of all, Adam's service as the interim lead pastor will continue through the end of April. He will continue to bring sermons on Sundays that he's in town until the end of June of this year. Secondly, beginning May 1st, somebody known as Chuck Barrington will begin to serve as the interim interim lead pastor. <laughs> as we continue an active search for a permanent lead pastor. And just for the benefit of those who don't know, I served this congregation, the old Dom Warrior Church of Christ, as a pastor from 1975 until 87, and then again for a couple of years into the 90s. But now being retired from the IRS since 2011 and having a wife who doesn't know the meaning of the word retire, I have time to devote to this and I'm happy to serve. Thirdly, we will be in contact with those who have been at Living Stones since we made the transition from the old Dom Warrior Church. They lived on Dom Warrior Avenue, one in the house just directly east of the, this building and the other on the corner next to Monroe School. Both of these men are currently professors of Bible and theology in universities that are training pastors. These men know our vision and mission on the, to the south side of South Bend and, now, and how we desire to be a church that serves our community, and we believe that they can be a great help and resource for us in our search for the right leader moving forward. We will be in contact with them very soon. Fourthly, our vision and our mission here is unchanged from what it was a year ago. We are still focused on being Christ servants up uh, for the zip codes of 463 and 4614, and we are not changing that goal and see it as the reason for our existence as a church here. Fifthly, we will not be rushed in our search for a new lead pastor, but will seek to ensure that we find the one who God is calling to this work. We seek an able and effective communicator of God's word and one who is committed to a long-term ministry in our Southside community. We as your elders covet your prayers as we conduct this search. And lastly, we will have guest speakers from time to time. You will, after all, need relief from me. But you should not assume that a guest speaker is being interviewed as a potential pastor. There will be times when, due to scheduling, we are in need of, of speakers. 
Now let me conclude with this from the shepherds of this congregation. We acknowledge that with the changes experienced over the past year, many have been left feeling off balance and wondering what will happen to Livingstone Church. We confess that we have been knocked off of our stride and resolved to get it back, but we know that many have already decided that they would not stay or financially support Livingstone's church, waiting for this vacuum to be filled. Our duty is to continue to encourage those who are all in to remember that we've been called into the kingdom not to follow a man or a group of men, but to follow and emulate the Good Shepherd. And we call on you to follow us as we follow the Good Shepherd here on the south side. Our prayer is that it becomes widely known on the south side of South Bend that this people, his people here, belong to the flock of the Good Shepherd. At this time, we've got an opportunity, and we don't want to give it short, short shrift. We've got an opportunity to support in a financial way the work of this church. Everything that is given here is spent on the south side of South Bend and the ministry here. And we want you to be aware of that. And so we have this opportunity we use every week to return a portion of what God has blessed us with. Even the poorest among us, if we compared ourselves to other parts of the world, we are very, very rich people. And now we have an opportunity to give back to God that which he has blessed us with. So as I bow, uh, would you bow with me? And we'll give thanks, and then the collection will be taken. Holy God, our Father in heaven, we thank you so much, dear Father, for the blessings you have given us, for how richly you have given to us and now father in turn we want to support the work here and we ask you to take this offering given willingly and bless it and multiply its effects father please be with us as we seek to be your flock here on the south side of south bend in the name of our good shepherd jesus amen <laughs>